Well, if you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, chances are you've seen an expectation versus reality picture or video. I love these things. They're, they're hilarious. Here, here's some examples. Uh, expectations, you get it like a Pinterest Christmas cookie thing with antlers, so cute, right? Here's reality, right? It's like poop with antlers. Okay, we, we've had a couple of those in our house, all right? Next, expectation, oh, I'm gonna fall asleep on this train, this plane, and I'm just gonna look so calm and, and peaceful. Here, here's reality, falling asleep in public. I've got a couple of pictures of my wife falling asleep in the car next to me as we travel, just like that. Next, expectation, I'm gonna grow some facial hair, I'm gonna get this awesome rocking mustache. All right, here's reality, some brown peach fuzz. Brown peach fuzz on a teenager. Snowman Christmas, I'm gonna build this awesome snowman, top hat, scarf, carrot for the eyes, Oreo, everything. It's gonna be awesome. Here's reality. Here's some of the snowmen I've seen in my front yard, right? With that West Texas snow, it's pretty difficult. All right, next, expectation. Okay, we're gonna take these cute Christmas pictures with Santa. Every parent knows how this goes with toddlers. Not so much, right? That's reality. And the next, oh, this one's my favorite. When I wear a tight shirt, you can't see it probably, but this dude has a Superman belt buckle on, all right? He's thinking pretty highly of himself in his tight shirt. Here's expectation, here's reality. Can I get some more cowbell, please, right? Listen, th- 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 these are funny, I love them. I, I always, I, I laugh at these, but, but what's, what's really sad, it's sad when people have certain expectations or thoughts of Jesus that, that don't meet reality. like their thoughts of who Jesus is and what he must have been like and and what he expects from us usually mirror and match what they think Jesus should look like and talk like, not what the scripture says Jesus actually said and did and taught and and thought. Their their expectations of Jesus fall desperately short because they've created a a Jesus in their own image. It's called idolatry, that Jesus doesn't exist. That's a fake Jesus, that that, that Jesus does not exist. The one that you create or fashion like in your own mind and you expect him to be like that and think like that and be okay with who you are, right? I mean, that Jesus just doesn't exist. When we read the scripture, verse by verse, this is why we're studying the gospel of Luke, right? We get a, a real picture, we're getting, we're praying, we're getting a full picture of Jesus, not some fake Jesus that we've created in our mind. We're not leaning on our own understanding. No, in all of our ways, we're acknowledging him. And so so we're coming to the scripture and saying, God, what what, what does your word say about your son, Jesus, and who he is and what he's like? When we get these incomplete meme versions of Jesus, we tend to get a picture of Jesus that's either weak and anything goes and totally inclusive and tolerant, or we get a picture of this harsh, bigoted, exclusive, and intolerant Jesus. And usually you've adopted one of those versions of Jesus based on the agenda that you're pursuing. Oftentimes based upon, sadly, the political aisle that you fall on. Or maybe the lifestyle that you choose to live. And so you create or fashion this kind of Jesus in your your own mind and in your own making. That's called idolatry. These meme versions of Jesus that we see all over social media give us a false expectation about what it means to follow Jesus. Oftentimes, these incomplete versions of Jesus promise us power and position, prosperity, prestige, this this blessed life. And that's not what Jesus promised his followers at all. In fact, he, he promised mostly the opposite. 
And so here's what we're inviting you to do. We're inviting you to commit. I'm challenging you to commit to studying the gospel of Luke with us verse by verse. We've been studying the gospel of Luke. I'm, I'm challenging you. We're inviting you to commit to study the gospel of Luke. Go back and watch the messages that you've missed, right? When, when, when you're in town and you're feeling well, be here. Commit to studying the gospel of Luke verse by verse with us. And we're not just studying it in here. We're studying it in our small groups that we call city groups. This next week, we'll discuss these same passages um, in our daily devotionals, Monday through Friday on our app this week, we will break down these same verses with more commentary and questions and prayer points. We're inviting you to study the gospel of Luke as a family with the table talk right now, our kids and students are studying these exact same verses and passages so that you can have a common conversation around a lunch table or a dinner table using the tool that we've provided called the table talk on our app. It's under the Bible study tab on our app. We're inviting you to commit not just kind of half-heartedly attend church when you can, but to commit to studying the gospel of Luke with us so that we get this full picture of Jesus. And our hope is, and my belief is, is that as you make that commitment and you study the gospel of Luke with us, you will be drawn to Jesus. You will fall in love with Jesus. John chapter one says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's real love. And so as you fall in love with Jesus, you're gonna find what your soul has always been longing for, what your soul is longing for right now. And you may not have ever even realized it. Your soul is longing for grace and truth because that's who Jesus is. And the Bible says you were created to know and follow Jesus. Your soul is desperately desiring grace and truth and you may not even know it. And you might even be resisting it, but that's what your soul is longing for, real love. Real love is found in Jesus. And the scripture says Jesus is full of grace and truth. And it's what your soul is longing for. So dive in with us. Luke chapter nine, we're gonna be looking at verses 18 through 36. If you've got our app, now's a great time to open our app, the City Church Lubbock. If you don't have it, you can download it in your app store, the City Church Lubbock. Click message notes and all the verses and the points are gonna be there. You can fill in the blank. There's a lot of quotes today. Uh, the, all those quotes are, are, are there. Most of them are there anyways. That's a great way to engage in our time together. We've got a lot to cover, a lot to do uh, today. And so that's a great way just to stay engaged and to make the most of our time together. Use the message notes on our app. All right, here's where we find ourselves. Last week, Brandon preached, did a phenomenal job on Jesus feeding the 5,000. Or if you were here, you know, that was probably more like 20,000. Okay. And if you grew up like in church and you ever went to youth camp, that was like the Wednesday night youth camp high, right? That was the mountaintop experience at youth camp, right? Jesus is performing miracles. People are getting fed. It's awesome. Things are great. We're on top of the world. And what do you expect Thursday night? You expect an even greater night at youth camp, right? You expect the high of all highs, the mountaintop of experiences with God. And so after Wednesday night high youth camp, the disciples are thinking, well, this is the feeding of the fight. They're thinking, surely Thursday night's coming, right? We're, <laughs> we had the Wednesday night high, right? Thursday night high. It's got to be even better. Jesus, what are you going to do? What, what, what miracle are you going to perform? Are you going to finally take over? Are you going to rule as king? What are you going to do? Well, the Thursday night youth camp experience with Jesus in Luke chapter 9 is not exactly what they expected. So let's dive in. 
Verse 18, Luke chapter nine. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. He's been with the crowds. He's fed all these different pe- all these people. They're loving him. He's performing miracles. He's healing people. He's feeding people. And so Jesus leaves the crowd to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him right now. And he asked them, who, who do these people say that I am? All, all the crowds, the people that we've been, who, who are they saying that I am? Well, they replied, some are saying you're John the Baptist, resurrected, come back from the dead. John the Baptist had had his head chopped off and died as a faithful servant of God. And, and so some like Herod were thinking maybe Jesus is John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say, uh, you're, you're Elijah, you, you've returned. There was some prophetic uh, 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 prophecies of Elijah returning before the coming of the kingdom of God. And, and so the disciples, some are thinking maybe you're, you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Others are saying you're one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And in the original language, this you is emphatic. He said, we, we've talked about what the crowds have said, but now what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Messiah. This word just basically means the anointed one of God, the one sent from God that the Jewish people were longing for and waiting for and all the the law and the prophets were pointing to. And so Peter says, "You're, you're that Messiah sent from God. And then Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. We'll come back to that here in just a little bit. The son of man, Jesus said, that's what he, that's how he often referred to him. It's a reference from Daniel chapter seven, that the son of man must suffer many terrible things. Wait, Jesus, we were expecting Thursday night youth camp, right? We just fed all these people. what, What is this? This is Thursday night youth camp experience. We're going home tomorrow, Jesus, right? This is supposed to be the best night of all nights, okay? But Jesus is saying, I'm gonna suffer many terrible things. He says, he will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus asks his disciples the most important question you could ever be asked, that you could ever consider in your lifetime here on this earth. This is the most important question that you, that I will ever answer in this lifetime. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? This is the first and most important question you will ever answer. Who is Jesus? which is why we're studying the gospel of Luke, verse by verse. Here's Peter's answer. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent from God. And and here's what he's basically saying. You're the one that the law and the prophets and even John the Baptist, they were all pointing to you. And he has the right answer, sort of. We, we, We see from Jesus's response to Peter's designation of him being the Messiah as affirmation, but, but still correction. Yeah, you're right, Peter, but, but you're not thinking in, in the, in the right way. Like you're, you're saying I'm the Messiah, but, but you're not, you're not thinking because Jesus knows his thoughts. He knows the attitudes and intentions of his heart. And so he knows what, what Peter is thinking. And he knows what all of the Jewish people and his disciples were thinking that means that, that if he's the Messiah, that must mean 
then this is what, what, what Peter's saying here. This is an important distinction in his confession. He's saying that Jesus is God's promised ruler, that he's a ruler who's come to overthrow the Roman government and bring the Jewish nation back into power and prosperity. That, that's what Peter, that's what the disciples, that's what the entire Jewish nation is thinking and expecting of the Messiah, that he's going to come and rule. But then Jesus gives the ultimate Jesus juke right here. Okay, you know what a Jesus juke is? Okay, a Jesus juke, for example, Brandon and Mark, Jesus juke me all the time, right? Because they're a little... I'll just be honest, they're a little inappropriate, you know, okay? So, so, so sometimes they Jesus juke me, okay? And so they'll say things like, I'll say, you know, I might say, well, I'm tired, you know, or something. They'll say, well, I bet Jesus was tired on the cross when he was dying for your sins, you know? It's that kind of thing, right? It's, it's a Jesus juke. And so the disciples, Peter, are saying, you're the Messiah. And he's saying, yes, but here's the Jesus juke. Here's the Jesus juke. He says, but I'm going to be rejected and then die. And they're like, wait, 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 what? That's the juke. Wait, what? No, no, no. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to rule. And Jesus is like, yes, that's coming. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but not right now. That's not what I'm doing right now. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised to life. You know, the crowds would often try to make Jesus king. He's healing people. He's feeding people. They're like, this is awesome. This is the Messiah. He's come to rule. So let's make him king. And they, they tried to do that often. And this is what the disciples were expecting. This is what Peter was expecting. They tried to make him king often. But if you've read the gospels, and we're going to see this throughout in Luke, Jesus would pass miraculously even pass through the crowds so that they could not make him king. Right? We need to kind of remember that, especially in the American church today. We, we need to remember that when Jesus was offered power and position and prestige, he denied it and walked away from it. And they don't know what to do with this. They have no idea what to do with this kind of Jesus or this kind of Messiah. Die, what, remain silent? Jesus, if you're the Messiah, why would we stay silent about this? And Jesus says, no, I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected and die. I'm going to be raised again. We'll get to that here in a minute, but I'm going to be, die. I'm going to be rejected and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be king. And, and, and here's, here's the other thing. You're going to, we're going to be silent about all this. You're not going to tell anybody that I'm, that I'm the Messiah. What? No, this is not at all reconciling with their expectations of the Messiah, but Jesus has given them a reality check here. Leon Morris and his commentary on the gospel of Luke said this, that the reason Jesus is telling them to be silent, to not go around speaking about this is because of their misunderstanding of who the Messiah is and what he's going to do. Here's what he said. The reason is surely the near certainty of misunderstanding. If this were spread abroad, the Jews detested their state of subjection to the Romans and longed for deliverance. They were ready to follow almost anyone who claimed to be the Messiah. And in fact, there had been many previous petty revolts. Had Jesus been widely hailed as the Messiah, people would have understood it as a political and military claim. They would have, watch this, Moore says, completely missed it. 
They would have completely missed out, Morris said, on what Jesus, he said, was trying to teach them on the message that Jesus had for the world. They would have completely missed it, Morris said. Everyone would have totally missed it. They would have assumed that because the Messiah has come, it's time for him to take power. It's time for him to rule. It's time to make a military claim and stake and overthrow their Roman oppressors. And Morris says, this would have totally missed it. Right, it kind of, it should make us like, right, beg the question, when we overplay our hand in politics and pursuit of power and positions, are we totally missing it? Are we missing out on the way of Jesus? Let's keep going. Verse 23, then he said to the crowd, the crowds have formed, right? They're there because he's healing people, he's feeding people. They're, they're, they're there to consume and to receive. And so he says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my followers, so, so the people that are in the crowd are not yet following Jesus. They're just there because they, they like what he's doing for them. They're there to receive and to consume. But if any of you wants to be my follower, watch what he says. You must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is the Thursday night camp mountaintop experience with God, right? It's not what they were expecting, but this is what Jesus begins to preach to the crowd. If you wanna be my follower, you gotta give up your own way. Some translations say, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the son of man will be ashamed of that person. When he returns in his glory and in the glory of the father and the holy angels. So, so the glory, the rule is coming. Not right now, but it's coming when I return. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise and I'm gonna return. I, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus turns to the crowds who have only been there to consume and receive. And he says, if you wanna be my follower, if you wanna be a disciple, it's gonna take, that, that, that's fine. You're here to consume and receive that, that's fine. We all start there. But if you're gonna be my follower, if you're gonna be a disciple, I'm gonna call you to more. You're gonna give up your own way. It's gonna take sacrifice. It's gonna take commitment. Jesus is always calling to people in the crowds that are just there to receive and consume. He's calling them so much more. That's why Jesus says it's so much more blessed to give than to receive. He's calling you to more. If you're in the crowd today and you've just been entertained by Jesus and you kind of tip your hat to Jesus and you just kind of show up for Jesus every once in a while. Jesus is calling you to so much more. Jesus says, first of all, my followers are gonna give up their own way. They're gonna deny themselves. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. If you follow me, if you're gonna be my follower, does he say, look at, look at, look at chapter nine, look at the verse. Does Jesus say to follow me and find yourself? 
No, I don't, I don't see that anywhere. Does Jesus say it, my followers are going to celebrate themselves? No, I don't see that there either. Does Jesus say my followers are going to be themselves and embrace themselves? Nope. I don't see that anywhere. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you're going to deny yourself. And using the imagery of the cross, you're actually, you're, you're not, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to die to yourself. You're going to deny and die to yourself. Because in and of yourself, you are spiritually dead. And so Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you got to recognize that you are spiritually dead. Die to your old self. Die to your ways. Die to your agenda and follow me. You're going to take up your cross. You're going to die to yourselves. Not just once, but, but every day. Paul said, I die daily. I die to myself. I deny myself and my own agenda. Jesus says, my followers are going to give up worldly pursuits, worldly agendas, a worldly way of thinking. They're going to give all of that up. They're going to deny themselves and they're going to deny the, the world's system and way and agenda of doing things. And they're going to follow me. Daryl Bach and his commentary on Luke in these verses said this, discipleship, therefore, requires a basic shift of orientation as we align ourselves with God's will through a humble renunciation of our own agenda. Does that sound like find yourself and celebrate yourself? No, it's a renunciation of who I was and the way I thought and the way this world thinks. It's a renunciation of our own agenda. To deny ourselves in the context of cross-bearing means that the world may kill us Maybe physically, maybe metaphorically. The world may kill us for walking outside of its paths, but we are ready to do so. We're ready to die. We're ready to suffer. We're ready to be rejected. We're ready to be reviled because God has called us to walk a different way. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on Luke in these verses said this, the concept of bearing one's cross has become a way of describing any form of suffering that we are called upon to endure, but that is not what Jesus is referring to here. He is not referring to what we may call common forms of suffering, like the kind that afflicts both Christian and non-Christian alike, and it has no bearing on a person's commitment to Christ. Next slide, yep, there we go, committed to Christ. What Jesus is saying here is that when we take the name of Christian, and openly identify ourselves with Christ, we must be ready to not only bear the normal suffering that life brings, but to share in the particular sufferings of Christ. Most Americans today, if most, if not all, we're, we're, not, we're not suffering. And we, need, we, need to, we, we really, we gotta stop using that word. It's really, a, it's a slap in the face to Christians around the world that really are suffering for their faith in Christ. So while most, if not all, aren't really suffering, we are being rejected and reviled more and more in our country. And so many will say, well, I, I love Jesus, but, but I don't really love the church, you know, or I love Jesus, but, you know, I don't really like agree with what he had to say about, you know, gender and marriage and like the way I should live my life, like I, or, or that he's God, like I, I love him, like he's, like he's a great teacher, you know, I go to church, you know, sometimes, but, but I don't, I, but, I, you know, but I'm not like a radical, like Jesus follower, you know, or whatever. And, and I'm, I, listen, I'm just loving 
that in our, our culture is beginning to reject that inconsistent philosophical statement that I could love Jesus and not love his church or that I could love Jesus and, and not agree and, and believe with the things that he taught because that's philosophically inconsistent. You can't say that. That's stupid. You just cannot say that. <laughs> Jesus didn't claim to be a good moral teacher or someone you can just tip your hat to. Jesus said he was God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So, so Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord and you're all in or you're all out. You, you can't say I love Jesus, but you know, but I don't like what he had to say about this. And that, that, that makes no sense. You might do that with another human teacher or prophet or something like that, but you don't get to do that with Jesus. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, he was crazy and we should run from him, or he is who he says he is, he's Lord, and we're all in. And so my question for you is, are you fitting more and more in with those this world is rejecting? Or are you fitting more and more in with those this world is rejecting? Are you fitting in more with people they're accepting or are you fitting in more with those that this world system is rejecting? Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, I will be ashamed of that person when I return. There, there is no such thing as a private salvation. There is no such thing as it's just me and Jesus over here. No, if you're ashamed of him and his message and his words, then Jesus says, and what he taught and I'll be ashamed of you on that day when I return. Paul said it like this in Romans one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. I'm not ashamed. So we publicly follow Jesus before the world and in locked arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no such thing as a private salvation or a private walk with Christ. We do so publicly and in lockstep with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what baptism represents. When you got baptized, this is the commitment you were making. I'm gonna to die to myself. I'm gonna be raised to new life in Christ. I'm gonna deny myself. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna walk with my brothers and sisters in Christ through this life as we hope and as we wait for Jesus to return. That's the, that's the commitment that you made. It, it was a commitment like Jesus to, to be rejected, to be reviled, to suffer, to serve in spite of the response. It was an invitation maybe even to die as it has been for many followers of Jesus all throughout history. Following Jesus was a death sentence. And so this is the Thursday night camp high. This is the Thursday night mountaintop experience. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it's not. Be honest. It's, it doesn't sound exciting, right? And that's why the crowds hear this and they thin out. Oh, oof. Jeez. That's, that's a bit much, Jesus. That's a little radical. Like we were here for the food and the miracles and everything else. Like, but, but that's a bit much. And so the gospels say that after hearing this, the crowds began to thin out. They didn't want this, but 
But with, with this, with that baptism, that commitment that's made to follow Jesus and to die to myself every single day, Jesus says this, if you give up your life for my sake, you will gain it. You'll actually save it. You'll experience real life the way that it was designed to be live. But also, he's also saying when you give up your life for Jesus physically and literally, you will save it. You will gain it. In other words, Jesus is saying, just like I'm going to be raised to life, my followers are going to be raised to life. Even though they die, they will live. Paul said in Romans chapter eight, Jesus is the firstborn among those who will be raised from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn and he's got a lot of brothers and sisters who have made the commitment to follow him that will be raised just like he was. He's the firstborn among those who've been raised from the dead. Ephesians 2 says it like this, we will be raised with Christ by your faith in Jesus. Even though you die, you will live. You will be raised with Christ. But then he says, some of you, some of you right here, you won't die before you see the kingdom of God. So, (laughs) The, the life of the Christian is going to be marked by suffering and serving and, and dying. But some of you right here, you're not, going to, you're not going to taste death before you see the kingdom of God. And I can just hear Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber saying, oh, wait a second. So what's all this not going to die talk? Like they're, you know, it's like they're, 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 they're getting upset and they're down. You know, this is kind of a downer, you know, kind of message from Jesus, right? And the crowds are thinning out. And, but then all of a sudden they perk back up, right? Wait, 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 what's all this not going to die talk? So you're saying there's a chance? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 28, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep, but when they woke up, they saw Jesus's glory. And the two men standing with him, Moses and Elijah, as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them all as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone and they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So Jesus says, some of you will not die before you see the kingdom of heaven. And Peter, James, and John go up on this mountain with Jesus and they see the kingdom of God and the king in all his glory They got to see it before they died. It was interesting to read this past week, the effort of various scholars and commentators to try to describe this moment. And kind of like Brandon preached about a couple of weeks ago about Psalm chapter eight and seeing the the glory of heaven and the glory of God and and almost leaving you speechless, It, it was, interesting to see people's efforts to try to describe what's what's happening here 
Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, the sun radiates God's own glory. In other words, Jesus doesn't reflect the glory of God. It radiates, it's originating from within him. And so in this moment, it's almost as if Jesus' deity shines forth through the flesh that John 1 says that he's taken on. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So it's almost like in this moment, Peter, James, and John are seeing Jesus, the glory of Jesus shine through and break through the flesh that he has put on and they're just seeing the word. The word who took on flesh. We, we often say here to kind of help you understand and, and remember who Jesus is, that Jesus is God in a what? You remember? In a bod. Jesus is God in a bod. And, and, and God himself confirms that right here. He says, this is my son. And, and that word son means of the same substance and value as me. And so God is saying here, this is my son. This is me. And Jesus said it himself. The father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so it's almost like in this moment, the bod is going away and they're just seeing the God. They're seeing him in all his glory. They're getting a, a taste, they're getting a glimpse of the kingdom of God that is to come. And it says that Moses and Elijah are there. Why, why, why Moses, why Elijah? Well, it says they were speaking about his exodus that was about to be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus' death that is going to take place on that cross in Jerusalem is going to be not just a death, it's going to aid in an exodus that's going to be a fulfillment. So, so let's, let's break this down. Let's talk about this. An exodus, his death is going to be an exodus. Like it's not an ending. It's not an ending, but but it's something that's happening in the process. An exodus like, like Moses leading the nation of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land, Jesus is going to take the people of God out of judgment and slavery to sin to a new and greater and better promised land, an eternal promised land. And how is that exodus that Moses led made possible? By the blood of the lamb. Death came that night to judge the nation of Egypt for their enslavery of the people of God and the nation of Israel. Death came that night and the Lord said through Moses to the nation of Israel, if you will put the blood of the lamb over the doorway of your home, death will pass over you. The judgment of God will pass over you because of the blood of the lamb foreshadowing and picturing and pointing to and screaming that one day there will be a lamb that will come and will die and his blood will be shed. And by your faith in the blood of the lamb, the judgment of God will pass over you and you will exit this life. You will exit the judgment and wrath of God and you will receive eternal life and you will be brought into a new and better and greater promised land. And in the same way that Moses represents the giving of the law of the God, Jesus fulfills the law of God. Elijah's there. And the prophet Elijah was rejected by his own people. Jesus said, my people, my own people, 
They're going to reject me. Elijah escapes death miraculously. And in the same way, Jesus is going to die, but he's going to escape death through his resurrection from the grave. Elijah is often the representative of all the prophets. When you speak of like the greatest prophet, most would say it was, a, it was Elijah. And so oftentimes it's Elijah who's the representative of all the prophets. And so in Moses and Elijah, we have like the culmination we have the representatives of the law and the prophets. And Jesus said himself that all the law and the prophets were about me. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, Jesus said, they all pointed to me. They were all about me. And so in the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John see Elijah and Moses speaking with Jesus. They're everything they represent pointing to Jesus about the exodus that Jesus is going to lead, that's going to fulfill all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is the greater Moses who takes you out of slavery to sin and into the kingdom of God. Jesus is the greater Elijah that takes you up and with him into heaven as you escape death by your faith in Jesus. All the law and the prophets point to Jesus, point to this plan. It was a fulfillment. They were speaking about his exodus that was going to be a fulfillment. This has all been planned. This has always been the plan. Paul said in Romans 1, God promised all of this. He promised the great news of the gospel beforehand in advance. Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2 says, all of this was God's prearranged plan. And so Jesus, Eliza and, Elijah and Moses, they're all speaking about his exodus that is going to be a fulfillment. This was all prearranged by God. Isaiah 53, 700 years before the time of Christ, Isaiah, the prophet said this in Isaiah chapter 53, that the Lord will crush his son. That the Lord will crush his anointed one, his son, his Messiah. He will crush him with his own wrath for your sin and my sin. We just sang about it that by your stripes, that's Isaiah 53, by your stripes, we will be healed. This was all promised beforehand. And so this is the mystery that they're discussing, that the disciples and the rest of the Jewish nation didn't fully understand yet that there's going to be two comings of the Messiah and the first coming, the Messiah is going to die and be crushed by the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. But Jesus said, I'm going to rise and I'm going to return in all my glory and with the kingdom. And when I return one day, I'm going to rule. Well, Moses and Elijah start to leave. Peter panics, right? It's good, it's good to be here. Let's say, hey, Moses, Elijah, come back, all right? It's good for us to be here right now. Let's, let's not any of us go anywhere, okay? This is good. None of us want to go back down that mountain to all the pain and the suffering and the rejection and the suffering and the serving and the death, right? None of us want to go back down that mountain to that. Let's just all stay right here because this is good. He doesn't want this experience to end. It's almost as if when you're in the presence of God, when you're experiencing God, You've got nowhere else to get to. You follow me? Like when you're in the presence of God, there's, there's no check in your watch. There's no lunch to get to. 
There's no game I got to see. When you experience God, when you're in the presence of God, this is, this is, whoa, 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 wait a second. Let, let's, I mean, what if instead at the end of church today, you're, you're kind of like, hey, Clayton, let's all, let's all just stay, you know, kind of right here. That's what, I mean, Peter's like, no, 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 don't, don't anybody go anywhere. This is good. This place is good. We're in the presence of God. We're experiencing the glory of the kingdom and the glory of the sun right here. Let's stay right here. Let's build these tents for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And in this moment, this cloud begins to envelop them, representing the presence of God. And it says that Peter, James, and John, they fell down in fear. They were terrified because of the holy and awesome and powerful presence of God. They fell down in fear. They weren't taking pictures and videos and trying to Instagram anything, you know, right now in this. No, their phones are up. They are falling down, terrified. And, and God basically says, no, Peter, that's not what's gonna happen yet for, for a couple of reasons. God speaks from this cloud and, and basically here's what he's saying. No, it's not time for the kingdom yet. The kingdom, the king's gotta die for his people first so he has a kingdom. So, so it, it's not time yet. But then he says this, this is my son, listen to him. In other words, these men are not equal, Peter. Jesus isn't some other prophet. He's not some other spiritual leader, religious leader. You're not gonna build these tents, making like this idea of equality, like that these men are all equal in stature and value. And No, 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 no. These men pointed to my son. This is my son. Listen to him. This is... God in a bod, not some good teacher, spiritual guide, moral leader, or just another prophet. No, this is my son. This is God in a bod. What an incredible encounter they had up on that mountain. The disciples, the Jewish nation expected Jesus to win in every sense of the word that you and I might think of it. They expected him to win and therefore they expected to win too. But there's two reality checks that kind of summarize everything that we've been talking about. Here, here's number one, here's reality check number one. Jesus wasn't in it to win it. Not at all in the way that you and I would expect, that Peter was expecting, that the disciples were expecting. Jesus wasn't in it to win it. In fact, Jesus says, listen guys, disciples, here's the plan. Here's how we're going to live. Here, here's how we're going to operate. Here's what this is going to look like. Here's what my people are going to be characterized by. Here's the plan. We're going to live by dying and we're going to win by losing. That's the plan, guys. All right, hands in, break. Wait, what? Live by dying and win by losing? Yeah, we're going to suffer. We're going to serve and we are going to die. We are not going to rule. This upsets Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, we get kind of a parallel to this passage and it says that Peter rebukes Jesus for this. He rebukes him for saying he's gonna die, for saying he's gonna be rejected. 
these words reveal that Peter's like on the verge of rage right now. No, no, no. Our Messiah is this glorious king who's going to come in power and vanquish his enemies. It can't be. No, it can't be that our Messiah will suffer and be put to death. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You've got the things of men in your mind right now. That's what Matthew and Mark both record. Jesus saying to Peter, when Peter responds with anger to this idea that we're not in it to win it, that we're gonna win by losing, that we're gonna live by dying. It's kind of a big contrast with the blessed life, right? That a lot of American Christianity has promised. It's, it's a big contrast to the political power dynamics of American Christianity, at least that they've entangled themselves in. It's a big contrast. And it really, it looks nothing like the early church. In 130 AD, a Christian, an unknown Christian, wrote a letter <clears throat> to a man named Diognetus. And it's considered to be one of the very first like apologetics about Christ and the Christian way of life. And so he writes this letter to Diognetus. It's approximately, it's been dated to about 130 AD. And it describes the nature and the values of this early church, these first followers of Jesus. And it's a little wordy, but I just, I'm, I'm asking you to hang in there with me for just a second because it's just such a great description of we're not in it to win it, but somehow through that attitude, and through these values and through this way of life, the gospel spread and multiplied and took over the Roman empire and took over the world so much so that you and I are here and it happened in this way, in this shape and in this form. Here's what this man wrote to his friend Diognetus who was not a believer, but he was challenging him to consider the teachings of Christ and the, and the way of the disciples, he said this, but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they displayed to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. They don't, they don't consider themselves primarily a citizen of their own country but as a sojourner in their country, as a citizen of heaven. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth a land of strangers. He's talking about here their evangelistic and missionary passion to leave what was comfortable and to go to a foreign place to spread the gospel. They marry as do, as do all, they, they beget children, but, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They don't live after the things the world desires. In other words, they pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men, but are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all things. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor, they are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and yet they bless. They are insulted, and they repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. 
They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them, watch this, are unable to assign any reason for their hatred because they aren't jerks. No, quite the opposite. Even when they are reviled, even when they are persecuted, they love and bless in return. Christian, make no mistake. Our weapons as Christ followers are not politics, position, or power. Those are not our weapons. The gospel spread like a fire and multiplied throughout the Roman empire, not by being in charge, not by winning the day, not through politics, not through position, not through power. The gospel spread through a group of people who are committed to winning by dying, winning by losing. And somehow the gospel of Jesus spread with this kind of attitude and with these kind of values. You see kingdom values and change and advancement are not voted in. They rise up as we make disciples who make disciples. Church, we must quit falling for these claims of we're losing or if they win, imagine what's going to happen. We've got to quit falling for it. Those are not our weapons. And as Morris said earlier, we are missing it when we go there. We are absolutely missing it. Beth Moore has been a very popular preacher and teacher of the gospel and of the word of God for 20, 30 years. As long as I've been in, in ministry, she was, she was way before me and um, just incredible leader and preacher. And over the past few years though, she has a Twitter account that's gotten really spicy and I love it, right? She's just, she's given us Christians. She's just given us the business and I, 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 I love it. Okay. Here's what she said this week. Christian leaders in your 30s to 50s, you're the ones who will raise the next couple of generations of faith. It is crucial, needful, that you disciple them from the start on the values of Jesus. Not political or cultural hybrids. The ways and means of Jesus. Teach people to follow Jesus. My generation and the prior one entangled Christianity so deeply with politics and love of country. Many will only ever view the hybrid as wholesome and godly and never recognize how far Christian politicking can veer from Christ's likeness. I love my country, but my calling is discipleship. If you're a Christian minister, pastor, teacher, or leader, so is yours. Walk with Jesus. Seek to know him with all of your heart. Consider everything a loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord, and then teach others to do the same. Jesus, Jesus, his ways, his means. Our weapons are not politics, position, and power. No, our weapons are prayer, preaching the gospel, and praise. Those are our weapons, the weapons of discipleship, evangelism, and worship. And you know what? That was good enough for the early church in the first and second century. The gospel took over Rome because a people realized Jesus wasn't in it to win it. And so we aren't gonna be either. But here's the second reality check. Jesus wasn't in it to win it, but make no mistake, Jesus is going to win it. 
And we get the proof of that in the transfiguration. Jesus is going to win it. He is our promised ruler, but his kingdom is not of this world. They see Jesus in his glory. They get a glimpse of the kingdom of God that is to come. And years later, Peter would write this, watch this about this encounter that he had on this mountain. In second Peter chapter one, Peter says this about this encounter that he had with Jesus and seeing the glory of Jesus and seeing the kingdom of God. Here's what he said. We weren't making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes, Peter said. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that experience, watch what he says and watch what he's encouraging Christians to do. Because of that experience that we had, we have seen greater, we have even greater confidence in the message. Because of that experience, we have a great confidence. We have a great hope. We're not in it to win it, but because we're in Christ, we're gonna win it. Because when Jesus returns, he's going to win the day. Peter said, we saw it, we heard from God on that mountain. And so they were able to suffer with hope, believing Jesus is going to come in all of his glory. They got a preview of the second coming and they said, it's gonna happen. And that's good enough for us. Jesus wasn't in it to win it, but he's going to win. He came the first time to save as the suffering servant who died on that cross for your sin and my sin. But the second time, Jesus says he's gonna return in all of his glory. Our king is going to return. And when he returns the second time, he's going to rule and then he's going to judge. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about when he returns. And he says, when he returns, he's gonna put some sheep on one side and some goats on another. He's gonna divide us, all the, everyone. He's gonna divide us, sheep on one side, goats on the other side. The sheep, Jesus says, are those that have listened to me. They're those that have followed me, who've denied themselves, taken up their cross and followed me. And so to the sheep on that side, who've listened to him and followed him, he says to the sheep, go into the eternal kingdom, the paradise that's been prepared for you. But to the goats, those who rejected him, those who went through the religious routine, those who didn't take up their cross, deny themselves and follow him. To the goats, Jesus, remember, this is Jesus, in Matthew 25 says this, go away into the eternal punishment that was prepared for the devil and his demons, but that's where you're going because you rejected the son of God. The sheep go away into eternal life, into the paradise that was created for them. The goats, Jesus said, they go into the eternal fire, eternal punishment. Let me ask you, you ready for that day? Are you? Peter said, we're confident he's coming back. We saw him in his glory. We saw the kingdom and he's coming. Come on, let's let, look at me. That don't, don't let this moment pass you by. Like this is for real. This isn't, this isn't just routine church, if you hadn't figured it out by now. 
Are you ready for that day? Everything else you got to get to later today, later this week, listen, it means nothing compared to your response to that question. Are you ready for that day? When you will go away into eternal life, into eternal paradise, or into an eternal fire, into eternal punishment, are you ready? If you're not ready, give your life to Jesus, to the King today, and you'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll be made right with God, and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven, or when that day comes, and it will, you'll know you're ready. Would you pray with me? God, I just pray that right now in this moment, your Holy Spirit is moving and working on every heart that's in this room and every classroom. God, online, as people are watching right now or listening back, God, I just pray that your Spirit is moving and working in our hearts, speaking and reaching, just like we sang about earlier, your, your, your cross, the, the blood of Christ is still speaking, it's still reaching, and so reach and speak right now. And God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that's not ready, they would cry out to Jesus right now to be saved. They would give their lives to Jesus. And if that's you, then jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. God, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would transform us, God, disciples in this church into those that deny ourselves, give up this world and follow King Jesus with a confident hope that you are returning one day. Let us be those kinds of disciples by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?